John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54, and God does speak it to us. Uh, we want him to work, uh, we need him to work. Uh, let's ask him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, the Bible is the word that you speak to us. Uh, thank you for the confidence we can have in that as the word that Jesus uh, pointed us to. Uh, please do point us to him. Please do show us him as you speak the Bible to us. Uh, we ask that we'll see him more clearly, uh, see more clearly what it is to trust him. We ask that as we understand you, uh, as you help us understand, that you'll also work in us and enable us to change. In the Lord Jesus, amen. We said it earlier, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Do you think Jesus really rose from the dead? Flesh, blood, and bones in history. If you've been there, you would have seen him. Dead on Friday, alive on Sunday. Uh, maybe uh, while we're hanging out a bit, bit later, you might want to talk with uh, one another, with me, about why you think he did rise from the dead. Or maybe you're not convinced yet, you're kind of still checking things out, and actually maybe you want to ask us why we think he rose from the dead. One of Jesus' disciples took a bit of convincing. Uh, he wasn't there the first time that the risen Lord Jesus appeared to the, uh, came to the other uh, disciples. Uh, when they said to him that they had seen the Lord, Thomas didn't believe. He said to them, unless I see Jesus' hands, uh, in, his, in his hands, the marks of the nails, and the place, place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, he was convinced. What did it take to convince Thomas? Well, it took Jesus. When they were all together, uh, Jesus came, and Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And in that moment, Thomas believed. He knew exactly what had happened. He was convinced Jesus died and Jesus rose again. He believed. Now, one of the slightly surprising things reading John's Gospel is how many people believe bare facts about Jesus. Many people believe the bare fact of, of, um, of miracles, of wonders, of signs. But then they don't believe. They don't believe Jesus. Or they have a false faith. Or an inadequate faith. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus if it's not just knowing the facts? What is true faith? This passage helps. I thought before we get into it, I'd show you where we're talking about in terms of geography. So I marked up a few maps uh, to show you the area that we're talking about. Uh, last week in verses 1 to 42... Uh, we saw Jesus leave the region of Judea, start going north towards um, towards Galilee, and he got as far as Samaria there in the middle. 
Next slide, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the south. He grew up to adulthood in Nazareth in the north. So homeland for him, uh, north and south. Foreign land in the middle, that area, Samaria. The bit that's where the stuff that we read last week was set. Homeland north and south, foreign land in the middle. Then the next slide, the bit we read this week, is where Jesus gets right up the top there into Galilee, as far as Cana. And there's a man who comes up from Capernaum, down beside the Sea of Galilee, up to Cana, and back down again. So that's what we're looking at. It's going to shrink down now, and you've got it all locked in your head. And while Jesus was not in his homeland, the bit we looked at last week, uh, he was went, he went to a well near Sychar. Jesus met a Samaritan woman, uh, and that woman honored him by recognizing him as a prophet. She honored him, we saw this last week, by telling the people of her city, he told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah Christ? And Jesus stayed for two days. He obviously taught the people because chapter 4 verse 42 says, many more believed because of his word. They honored the prophet by believing his word. Then verse 43, we hear them honor Jesus by telling the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. It's interesting, isn't it? This supernatural thing Jesus did, by knowing the woman's history, uh, her, 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 her years and years of sin, the supernatural thing that, she, that Jesus did, and the woman telling people that he did the supernatural thing, it, it got them listening to Jesus, but it's not what keeps them. Jesus' word keeps them. Hearing the supernatural thing is not what finally deeply convinces them. It is Jesus' word that deeply convinces them. They hear Jesus and they believe his word. So we read on from verse 43 this week. Jesus leaves Samaria, he continues on up to Galilee. Uh, the next verse, verse 44, tells us why. He leaves to go to Galilee because Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Now, hometown translates a word that can mean hometown or homeland. Uh, and he's got that wider homeland meaning here. Now, there's a section, another section of the New Testament in the book of Hebrews uh, where the same word is used. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 speaks about Old Testament people and prophets who died as strangers and exiles on the earth, still seeking a homeland, a better country, that is a heavenly one. They were seeking a better homeland, but they lived in an earthly homeland. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 35 tells us what their, li- what their life lived in that earthly homeland was like. They were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might, atta- might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Most of God's prophets in Israel in Elijah's time were killed by their own queen. Elijah himself lived under threat. 
Over and over, Israel and Judah's kings rejected God's prophets and listened to false prophets. Jeremiah was beaten and imprisoned by Jews because he spoke God's word to them and they didn't want to hear. That's how prophets were received by their own people in their own homeland through the Old Testament. As I mentioned, you could refer to both Judea and Galilee, Judea and Galilee, as Jesus' homeland. Born in Bethlehem in Judea, raised in Nazareth in Galilee. But just before this section, we've just seen him honored as a prophet, as Messiah Christ, as Savior of the world in Samaria, which is not his homeland, which is the foreign land. But as he moves on to homeland Galilee, The reason he moves is because, as he says, a prophet has no honor in his own homeland. Then verse 45 says, so, therefore, just like Jesus expected, verse 45, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast. I was thinking, hold on. How is that so? How is that therefore? How is that him coming and not being welcomed? Not being honored? They are welcoming him. Look at why they're welcoming him. These Galileans were in Jerusalem when Jesus was there. They might have seen him clear the temple, but I'm pretty sure that what John wants us thinking about is that they certainly saw the many signs Jesus did in Jerusalem. They're welcoming him home as wonder worker Jesus. What's wrong with their welcome? As an example of a prophet having no honor in his homeland? If you've got your Bible, you can flick to chapter 2, verse uh, 23. Just a page. Chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at that Passover feast they were at, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. See, those verses taught us to be cautious about belief because of signs. People who believe because of signs, well, they might be Jesus' people, but they might not. It looks like that's what's happening as Jesus arrives into Galilee. Here these Galileans are just like the people in Jerusalem. They're welcoming Jesus, but they're welcoming him as a wonder worker. Just a wonder worker. They aren't welcoming him as Messiah Christ. They aren't thinking he's a prophet. They aren't recognizing he's the savior of the world, which is what the Samaritans have just done. They're welcoming Jesus home as a wonder worker. And that is not the welcome Jesus wants. It's a failure to see who Jesus really is. It's not true trust. When Jesus was in the foreign land, Samaria, many Samaritans believed his word. They recognized him as a prophet, the Messiah Christ, the Savior of the world. And they were blessed. Let's push on. Verse 46. 
Jesus still in Galilee, in Cana, where he turned water to wine. You remember that first sign he did? Uh, when Jesus made uh, water into an extravagantly enormous quantity of top quality wine. Uh, the sign that showed Jesus' glory as the maker and creator, as the person who is full of grace and truth, the one who brings his people into the extravagant blessings of his, pe- of, of his people. Some of Jesus' disciples were there when he did it. They saw the sign in chapter 2, verse 11. His disciples believed in him. So watching to see what sort of faith they have. Chapter 4, verse 46 makes a point of reminding us of that sign and those things that happened. Then the end of verse 46, news has traveled faster than Jesus did. He had a two-day stop on the way home. Uh, So down in Capernaum, an official whose son is sick has heard that Jesus is back in Judea. He travels up to Cana and asks Jesus to come down and heal his son. Why didn't he just wait for when Jesus' tour made as far as Capernaum? Because his son is close to dying. This is why I'm so confident, as why we can be sure, about what sort of signs Jesus was doing down in Jerusalem. The only detail about a miraculous miraculous, um, thing that Jesus did, we've heard, is water to wine. Unless you count the um, uh, his supernatural knowledge of Nathaniel and the and the Samaritan woman, healing hasn't been wench- mentioned. But I guess the many signs in Jerusalem included many healings, because this man hears Jesus is back in Galilee, way up in Capernaum, and he spends half a day hiking up to Capernaum, throw up to Cana. He's heard Jesus can heal. And he wants Jesus to come and heal his nearly dead son. So, verse 48, Jesus says to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sounds a bit harsh. Well, actually, Jesus is speaking to him, but not just him. He's speaking to all of them. There's a footnote in verse 48 beside the word you. It's you, plural. It's you's. It's y'all. It's unless you people see signs and wonders, you people will not believe. Jesus is speaking to the official and to the Galilean onlookers. They're in Cana, so it's safe to assume that some of the people who are listening in uh, were at that wedding. They had some of that wine. They've heard the story about how Jesus made the wine out of water. Uh, They've certainly heard uh, the news about what Jesus did down in Jerusalem. They're there to say, are there more signs and wonders coming? Jesus speaks to the official as one of many Galileans who welcome Jesus as a wonder worker, but who aren't looking where the signs point. Signs and wonders are what the Lord God did in, uh, in Egypt in the Old Testament. That, that phrase just keeps coming up again and again, almost always about what God did in Egypt. The signs and wonders the Exodus generation saw. And we entered this story about Jesus and the official with the thought that prophets aren't honored in their homeland. Now here is a sign and wonder working prophet like Moses rebuking the people who welcome him as just a wonder worker. Unless you see signs and wonders 
you people will not believe. See, welcoming Jesus as a wonder worker is pretty average compared to truly honouring him as the prophet who speaks God's word with God's authority. Welcoming Jesus as a wonder worker is pretty average compared to trusting him as he speaks, sitting under his rule, his authority. Verse 49, the official tries again. Uh, he already asked Jesus to come down and heal his son, but he, he tries again, Sir, come down before my child dies. He doesn't want to enter into the theological argument. He just wants his son healed. And Jesus speaks life. He says, Go, your son will live. Verse 50 says, The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. You see what's happening? Jesus rebuked the crowd and the man is part of it. The man hasn't seen a sign and wonder. He has heard Jesus' word. And he is believing Jesus' word. How do we know he believes? Because he acts as if what Jesus says is true. He goes away. Jesus says, go, your son will live. And the man leaves. This is belief like the Samaritan's belief. It's believing Jesus' word. It's acting as if what Jesus says is true. Now, he's got reasons to believe that what Jesus says is true. He's heard about the water to wine. He's heard about the the signs in Jerusalem. Maybe he even did see some of those. But here he is trusting Jesus' word. He doesn't wait around to keep asking Jesus. He doesn't need to hear news about his son being okay before he's willing to leave Jesus rather than keep asking him. He trusts that what Jesus said is true. He trusts Jesus. Jesus said, go, your son will live. And the official goes as if his son will live. Then verse 51, he's halfway halfway home, halfway down the mountain again. Uh, When his uh, servants meet him to tell him his son is recovering, he asks when. They tell him the time it happened. And he knows that that's exactly when Jesus said, your son will live. And John tells us, verse 53, he himself believed and all his household. So when Jesus said it, the official believed that it was so. And a little later he sees that when Jesus said it, it was so. That sight strengthens his faith, strengthens his confident trust in Jesus. Not just his, his family. He obviously does what um, Andrew and Philip and the Samaritan woman did. As soon as he twigs to some of the good news about Jesus, about who Jesus is, he tells others. The official tells his household and all his household believe. But what do they believe? What does he believe? The writer writer connects this sign back to the uh, sign of water to wine by saying again, verse 53, this was not the second sign that Jesus did uh, when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Back in chapter 2, when he talked about it being Jesus' first sign, he said it was the first sign that revealed Jesus' glory. It helps the disciples see who he really is. 
How does it do that? Well, chapter 1, verse 43. Sorry, chapter 1, verse 3 had said, All things were made through him. Without him was nothing, not anything made that was made. So Jesus turning water into wine shows his power over creation. Chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The extravagantly enormous quantity of top quality wine gives a little glimpse of the extravagant goodness of the blessings Jesus brings. How about this sign? Well, chapter 1, verse, verse 4 says about Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Here is Jesus giving life to a dying child. You see, Jesus gave life to those who trust him. Jesus gives life. The signs points. I've just heard Jesus speaking about eternal life to Nicodemus in Jerusalem and the Samaritan woman at the well. We know Jesus as the one who gives eternal life. The life he gives is so much more than the difference between um, a, a young boy and an old man. Jesus doesn't just give long life. He gives eternal life. And sign helps us see it, that he is that glorious one. But John doesn't tell us that the officials saw that, or, or, or his family. John doesn't tell us that the official or his family went where the sign points. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. We're just not told if any of them got any further than believing Jesus is a wonder worker and Jesus worked this wonder. We see faith in Jesus' word expressed, but just in this one word. We're not told if any of them kept listening to Jesus until they could say with confidence, you are the Christ, the Savior of the world, save us. I think that's deliberate. We're shown a Galilean who believes something and benefits somewhat. I'm left to wonder if longer life for his son is all he got. If it is, it would be as sad as the Samaritan woman settling uh, for modern plumbing when Jesus was saying, I'll give you the water of life, the living water, which is eternal life. Right, Jesus opened her eyes to her need. He supernaturally showed her that she needed forgiveness. And she did go further uh, than believing uh, that, <clears throat> than believing he had shown her her past. She recognizes him as a prophet, as the Christ, as the Savior of the world, as her Savior. I wonder for this official and his family, where believing that Jesus is a wonder worker who worked this wonder, went to. Did they go where the sign pointed? Did they come to realize Jesus gives not just healing for longer life, but that actually Jesus promises eternal life? What about you? Where are you going with the things you know about Jesus? Are you going where they point? Uh, some people settle for a few life, moral life lessons uh, to add to their collection. Or for a community who share Jesus' values, or for the positive vibe of bits and pieces uh, of the ancient stories, or less. 
These chapters, chapter 2, 3, 4, are designed as a package to confront. The confronting thing is that the clearest example of people who believe Jesus are Samaritans. Jesus' own people, they thought the Samaritans were the, the racial half-castes and the practicers of corrupt religion. But when Jesus comes to them, the Samaritans are the ones who most clearly, most fully trust Jesus. They hear him say he is the saviour of the world, and they recognise and tell each other he is the saviour of the world, including them. Meanwhile, Jesus in his, Jesus in his homeland, the, the people in Jesus' homeland, they miss out. Mostly they don't receive him. They know the facts. Yes, they know he worked wonders. He did miracles. Galileans, they welcome him as a wonder worker, but not much more. It's not obvious whether Nicodemus believed Jesus' words about eternal life. He heard them, but did he believe them? Not told. It's not obvious if this official who believes Jesus' word about his son living a little longer winds up believing that Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. That's why I mentioned Thomas earlier. I thought we could just show you someone else uh, who uh, comes to true faith. Thomas saw Jesus do signs. He heard Jesus teach. But he didn't believe when the other disciples said to him that Jesus has now been raised from the dead. When Jesus came to them and said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, and put your hand Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas didn't say, I didn't think you were alive, but now I know you're alive. Thomas did say, my Lord and my God. Why does he say that? Because seeing Jesus alive sent him back to the words Jesus spoke. And believing Jesus' words means recognizing him as Lord and God. Acting as if he is Lord and God. Leaning into him. Trusting his word. Believing his promises. Obeying his commands. Believing Jesus' words means treating him as your Lord and God. And that's what Thomas does. He leans in and trusts Jesus, his risen Lord and God. Now, none of us got to see signs in Jerusalem. None of us got to drink the wine or hear the story about the man whose son was healed um, <laughs> directly from him. We didn't get to see Jesus in Jerusalem after he'd been raised from the dead. This passage is showing us, though, people who saw signs and missed out because they didn't go where the signs point. The bit that we read this morning is there to say, make sure you don't miss out. It's vitally important that we know what's true, what happened in history. But believing in Jesus is not just believing that he died and is raised. It's not just bare facts. It's believing him, 
is taking him at his word. That he is the Christ, the Son of God. That he is the one who gives life. And not just long life. It's actually not something he promises. What he does promise is that he gives eternal life. Forgiveness. Right relationship with God. Forgiven for all the damage we've done to others and the dishonor we've done to God. He is the Lord who saves. And he was given by his Father so whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. This passage is here to say, make sure you hear those things. Make sure you listen carefully to the word Jesus speaks and believe and trust the word Jesus speaks. Act as if it's true. You have every reason to believe it's true. It's a message to say to us to make sure we keep hearing. It's a message which sends us to share it with others who, like us, desperately need the eternal life that Jesus alone gives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in seeing your Son give life to a a dying boy uh, in history, uh, we see him as the one who gives life, and not just life to live longer in this life, but eternal life. Thank you that you give him, that you give him to go to his death, to suffer the judgment we deserve, to bring forgiveness. Thank you that we do have your word which witnesses, uh, that we have the testimony uh, from eyewitnesses concerning uh, about the miracles that Jesus did, about uh, the things that he said about his resurrection. Father, please do send us uh, head and heart and life uh, to the reality of who Jesus is, that more and more we would see him clearly as Christ, the Son of God, as the one who gives eternal life, as the Lord who saves, and that believing, trusting in him, acting on his word, we hear with confidence from your word that we will not perish, but have eternal life. Father, thanks for that glorious message, and please do help us uh, to speak it clearly, to share it with friends who, like us, need to hear it. In the Lord Jesus, amen.